Hello, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money podcast. Today is Friday, September 26th. It's about 5.27 p.m., and my goodness, what a week. Right now, Congress is still talking over that $700 billion bailout that was proposed by the White House. You remember that the Bush administration wanted some kind of legislation passed by today, Friday. And on Thursday, when we went home, it looked a lot like the president might get just that. And then Alabama Republican Richard Shelby in the Senate started a major pushback from that side of the aisle. Congress was supposed to recess for the election after today, and now they seem to be sticking around to talk, talk, talk about that bailout. So... Will Congress pass the bill? Is the fate of the free world hanging in the balance or not? I don't know. We're coming at you with several segments today. The last one's a doozy. It's Adam and Alex on the week the economy nearly died. But first, Planet Money reporter David Kestenbaum takes a look at a computer model drawn up in the 1980s. It was drawn up by none other than Ben Bernanke. Yep, that guy. Chairman of the Federal Reserve. His model predicts, you know, the worst... Linda Wertheimer has the introduction. Wouldn't it be great if there were a crystal ball you could consult about our economic woes? You could ask it, will there be a recession? How bad? Should we launch a $700 billion rescue mission? Well, the closest thing we have in the real world are computer models. We have them for the weather and, it turns out, for the economy. In fact, one was written by a guy named Ben Bernanke. You know him now as chairman of the Federal Reserve. NPR's David Kestenbaum reports. The computer model is called the Financial Accelerator. I went to see it at the office of Mark Gertler, a professor of economics at New York University. Gertler worked with Ben Bernanke on it in the 1980s. I was hoping for a sort of video game like that SimCity thing, but when I asked Gertler to show me the model, he started to print something out. It turns out he and Bernanke were equations guys, not programmers. For that, we have uh, highly intelligent and uh, ambitious graduate students. The research paper he prints out is filled with what look like physics equations. Are there people in your computer model? Yeah, there are uh, people and their firms. Is there a stock market in there? Absolutely. The uh, firms uh, issue equity and debt. Now, there are lots of models of various aspects of the economy out there. This one is sort of unique because it was designed to incorporate the rippling effects of shocks to the financial system, exactly what is going on now. Ultimately, we would like to be able to make precise predictions. Yes, we know the economy will get into trouble or can get into trouble to these forces, but we'd like to be able to say how much. So does the model say, uh, you know, we're heading for doomsday unless uh, something happens? Uh, roughly speaking, yes. The model calculates how a shock to the system, like the credit crisis happening now, might snowball dangerously. For example, in a credit crisis, it's hard to borrow money. To take out a loan, you have to agree to pay a lot of interest. That hurts. The result is that people and companies have less money, so they spend less. The economy slows. The problem is the system feeds back on itself. The slowdown can make houses worth less, companies worth less which makes it even harder for everyone to borrow money because their collateral is worth less. The whole cycle begins again. We called it a financial accelerator. It's sort of a financial decelerator in this case, though. <laughs> That's what my wife said, but we called it accelerator because it's uh, amplifying the downturn. Amplifying the downturn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. How can a computer model an economy? Millions of people all making their own, let's face it, sometimes crazy decisions. Other economists take the model's predictions with a big grain of salt, but they also can't resist asking, 
what it has to say. Gertler says there is reason to heed its warnings. It did a good job explaining what happened during the Southeast Asia financial crisis of the late 1990s. South Korea's gross domestic product plunged 12 percent. More than half of that, the model says, was due to the financial accelerator problem. Gertler says he thinks the logic behind the model is definitely affecting Ben Bernanke's thinking. They've talked about it. There's no question about it. I mean, the one thing I can let on is he said, well, the only good news is the financial accelerator theory seems to be working. So, <laughs> Darn it, we were right. Yeah, yes. No, but no, in all serious, this has guided his thinking and really motivated him to act very quickly. Because otherwise things get very bad very fast. Yeah. Gertler hasn't asked the model to predict what comes next, but his colleague, Simon Gilchrist at Boston University, who has worked on the project from the beginning, has been training the model on data from the past 20 years. I haven't really predicted out in the future with this model. That's probably uh, my exercise for Monday. But uh, what the model is saying currently is that we're experiencing about a 2% decline in GDP growth because of these credit tightening uh, effects. In other words, growth would be 2% higher if we didn't have this problem. One other question he wants to ask the model about that $700 billion the administration says it needs to fix the economy. Is that enough? David Kestenbaum, NPR News. We're always glad to hear from David Kestenbaum. Next up is Daniel Costello. He's a business reporter from the L.A. Times. Daniel's on his way to grad school at Columbia, and he's spending the week with us here at Planet Money to cover the financial crisis. Thank you, Daniel. Daniel talked to a true libertarian soul today. This guy, Thomas Fiery, is the managing editor of a magazine called Regulation, and he's part of the Libertarian Cato Institute. Daniel asked Mr. Fiery about some of the common assumptions in this week's financial crisis, including the idea that America can't afford to let its biggest firms die. There is a concern about too big to fail in the sense that uh, very large banks, very large organizations have political weight and they they seem to have economic weight uh, that ensures that Congress will always come riding to the rescue. But we want to be careful about breaking banks up. Most of the banking failures in U.S. history have actually been the product of banks that have been too small and too localized. You know, pretty much every banking failure in the Great that, Depression. Do you think that was part of what happened here? Should um, banks have been bigger? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, they're, they're definitely getting bigger, which is, is to some extent bailing them out. I mean, you know, how we, re, you know, how we're resolving the Indy uh, Indy Mac situation is basically selling them off to another bank. Right. This you know, morning, to, this morning, you see Wamu. Wamu, uh, and I think uh, who did I hear is going to buy them? Government sold to J.P. Morgan, and a fire, Morgan. As, a, as a fire sale. Correct. Yeah. So you know, and the bigger banks are, the more they're able to uh, uh, diversify across geography, to d- diversify. Uh, across you know various sectors of the economy, so that if there's a problem in one sector, the rest can hold it up. Whereas, you know, again, returning to the to the Great Depression, when state regulations kept banks purposely very small, any bad harvest led to the bank uh, failing and then to all sorts of economic hardship. But this is all kind of shocking. In the middle of this, you know, economic storm and political storm, you're saying, look, there's too much regulation about uh, without the credit credit agencies have too much regulation. Uh, the banks have too much regulation. Wall Street has too much regulation. And the solution is we should let them get bigger, let them regulate themselves when most people on, on Main Street say that was the problem in the first place. Well, again, there's there's a sense that whenever something bad happens, the government can and should come riding to the rescue. 
and we often have to dig deeper and, and dig into history uh, to find out the, the real uh, truth in the matter. You know, the real truth of the matter it appears to be that uh, Freddie and Fannie, you know, probably the two most carefully monitored uh, businesses in the United States. I mean, you know, the president gets to appoint members of their board, and they have to go before Congress, and they have their own personal private or their own personal regulator set up by the government. Uh, appears to have, you know, driven the housing market. Uh, toward very uh, risky mortgages. And, uh, you know, the, these instruments began to buckle under, and now that's why we're having a liquidity crisis. So you don't, So I'm getting the sense that you don't support the bailout. I'm very nervous about the bailout. The notion that $700 billion are basically put in, in the, the hands of the Treasury to use however they see fit, uh, you know, is, is very troubling. And that's, you know, being said by someone who has tremendous respect for, for Hank Paulson and, and, you know, tremendous, tremendous respect for Ben Bernanke. I think they're very sharp men. But, you know, it, it really frightens me that we're trying to get this done and get this done in a matter of days when it's, you know, basically a commitment of one quarter uh, of, the, of the equivalent of just about one quarter of the federal budget. Well, you would uh, you would think that maybe some free market uh, folks would be on the ropes this week, but it doesn't appear that you are. One of my uh, colleagues here said he's going to who's a who's a you know, lifelong teetotaler said he's going to take up drinking if this keeps going on. <laughs> well, uh, Tom Fiery, thank you very much for joining us. You bet. Take care. See and now for the big deal, and now for the big deal, the appetizer, entree, and dessert all rolled into one. Adam Davidson and Alex Bloomberg put this story together for All Things Considered tonight. We're calling it The Week America's Economy Almost Died. It's kind of scary. Mark Peterson doesn't work on Wall Street. He's in Memphis. He's got nothing to do with the mortgage industry. But last week had him shaken, almost literally. For those of you, you know, have experienced an earthquake, you know, some people say it's a soul-wrenching experience because you realize there's a power out there that's doing something that you have no control over whatsoever. And it's massively moving everything. And that's last week. Last week, there was a monster that was unleashed. The commercial paper market, which is the most liquid market probably in the world, basically froze up. Commercial paper? That's the monster that wrenched his soul? Yeah. I mean, well, it turns out commercial paper, a kind of short-term loan, is one of those things that you've never heard of, but that helps make the world go around. And Mark Peterson knows this because he's treasurer of ServiceMaster, which owns, among other things, a lawn care company, Merry Maids, and Terminix, which will get rid of your termites. Let's just say that you have Terminix come out and treat your house. You write a check. So our billing system goes in, marks your account as having been paid. So every day, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of Terminex customers and other people are, are writing checks and you sort of have a position of like, what's, what's our cash position now for the day in, in this company? Yep. Either we're going to have too much money at the end of the day or we're not going to have enough money at the end of the day. Like today, do you, do you have money or do you need money? Today, our company, we have money. But tomorrow, they might not. It's not a big deal. Maybe they need to buy a lot of termite poison or upgrade their fleet of termite fighting vans. Every company works like this. Some days they have extra money. Some days they need to borrow. If you're a regular person, you use your credit card. If you're a gigantic company, you use the commercial paper market, a way of borrowing a lot of money. We would say, I'm going to give you a million dollars tomorrow if you give me $999,000 today. Got it. 
So tomorrow, whoever sent the $999,000 in, he's going to get an extra 1000 bucks tomorrow. And so every day, treasurers all over America and all over the world are getting into their office at 8. They're surveying sort of like their data, and then they're going and they're issuing commercial paper. How, how much money are we talking about, do you think? It's hundreds of billions of dollars. Every day? Every single day. Now, if you've never heard of this, well, there's a reason. It's been a relatively boring business. It could be somebody down at almost a clerical level calling every single day to Merrill Lynch and saying, I need to borrow $50 million. At what rate can I borrow at? Post that rate, and let's get it done by 11 o'clock in the morning. It, it, it stopped being boring sometime this year, huh? <laughs> it, it actually stopped being boring last year. Most of the banks don't even want to do $100 million. They want to come in and they want to raise a billion, $2 billion. This is Tom Corona with Tradition Financial in Lower Manhattan who's also, unfortunately, not at all bored these days. He's the guy these companies call when they want to borrow short-term money. It just so happens that most of the companies who call him are banks, and they can usually get a pretty low rate. At least they could, until last week. Banks were forced to start paying usury rates uh, to get money. And even when they were paying usury rates, even if they could get money, they could only get 50 or $100 million. Now, I don't mean to let 50 $100 million sound like a little, but now in market, it's nothing. It's, it's so small. These banks normally, at, at that spread, could raise billions in an eye blink. This is what happened last week that terrified Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson, Fed Chief Ben Bernanke, and President Bush. This was not a bunch of big investment banks getting their comeuppance for making bad loans. This was the fundamental flow of our economy breaking down. Money stopped moving. Big, safe, respected companies that were far away from all the subprime problems had trouble getting the short-term loans they needed to pay their bills. I don't think I've ever been this nervous in my career because I think the financial system was so close to locking up. I think we were real close to the abyss. This is Paul Balika of Daiwa Securities. We talked with him to figure out why this happened. Why couldn't companies borrow money? He watched this meltdown from what he calls courtside seats, although when you're a bond trader, courtside seats means a chair in front of a computer screen with lots of numbers on it. Yeah, lots of numbers. And uh, what happened that scared him so much is that for the first time ever, one of the most dreaded events on Wall Street occurred. A money market mutual fund broke the buck. So what does that mean? A money market fund is like a savings account. There's a good chance you have one. It's even more boring than commercial paper. It is, in normal times, seen as totally safe pretty much no risk. You put a thousand bucks in, you know for sure you'll get a thousand bucks out. Hopefully you'll get some interest, but you'll never lose any money. That's the key. And if you do lose money, that's called breaking the buck. And last Monday, the oldest money market mutual fund in existence, the reserve fund, broke the buck and people freaked out. Breaking the buck is, is uh, sort of like... Um Having a serial killer in a high school, it's, you know, it caused a little bit of panic. We can take a look at some of the returns, people. People are not concerned about getting a, re- a return on capital. They just want the, the return of capital. So that, that is panic. That is fear. So people took their money out of money market mutual funds. They were afraid they were going to lose all that money. And what is the main thing money market mutual funds own? Commercial paper. Those short-term loans to big corporations. And that is why, no matter how safe and trusted a company was, for a few hours last Wednesday and Thursday, they couldn't borrow money the way they normally had, with commercial paper. 
because the people running money market mutual funds were too busy freaking out and not lending any money. As far as we can tell, this is one of the biggest things that convinced Paulson and Bernanke that things had gone too far. If this went on for one more day, the economy would start to shut down. Once again, Paul Balika. Well, what happened is no one will be able to borrow money. And then, and then how does capitalism work if you can't borrow money? You're back to bartering, pretty much, you know, or, you know, no working capital. No, I, the, the extension of credit just almost came to a halt. Just ending, period. The key word there is almost. The commercial paper market has been awful since last Wednesday. We just called Tom Corona. He says today things took a turn from really bad to even worse. This is what he said exactly. Nothing is trading. But companies have found other ways to borrow money, mainly lines of credit from their bank. The fear is that someday those lines of credit will freeze too. It's certainly possible. Then there just won't be any borrowing. Ben Bernanke said that could be worse than the Great Depression. But there are other economists and respected ones who will tell you that's not true, that some businesses will eventually start lending their money when the price is right. Eventually, it'll work itself out. Maybe. Right now, today... That is the $700 billion question. Adam Davidson, NPR News. And for This American Life, I'm Alex Bloomberg. That's it for today on Planet Money. We hope you're doing okay out there. It's been a crazy few days, but we're glad for the chance to spend them with you. Keep those questions and comments coming at npr.org money. We'll be back with more answers next week. I'm Laura Conaway. You take care. Yeah.